Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. Are you happy today? Uh, more importantly, you can answer me honestly. Do I have a time limit? Do it like I do have a plane to catch. Well, I don't because I've got a plane to catch, but <laughs> I'll be done within like 30 minutes. Is that good? Is that okay with you? Like that's, okay. I want to preach you this morning probably, I don't think even probably, definitely the most simplistic sermon I think I've ever preached. In fact, many of you are going to listen to this and say, Jordan, I may as well have gone to Sunday school. And I'm okay with that. Because there's a reason we teach certain things in Sunday school. We call them the foundations. And what happens to many of us is as children we leave Sunday school and we get to what we call big church. And we have this air of maturity that states that was for when I was a young child. But now I am growing in my faith, Jordan. I am developing in my faith. I get that, but if that costs you the fundamentals, you've not matured at all. You've backslidden. That was a really good point. If you get to the point where eschatological theology overrides the cross, you have missed the whole point of your faith. If you can teach me more about the Levitical law than you can about a bloodstained cross, you miss the whole point. Because was Leviticus not pointing towards the cross the whole time? Was the tabernacle not simply a foreshadow of what was to come? See, if, if you can talk to me about the nine realms of astrological prophecy and the three dimensions of spiritual angelic warfare, and you can't talk to me about the incarnation of Christ, something is wrong. But here is a subtle lie the devil has slipped into our church. And here's what it sounds like. You can move past that. Let me ask you a question, friend. How are you going to move past Jesus? More importantly, if you do, what else are you looking for? The Bible says all things, say all things, all things consist in Him. So if all things consist in him, what else are you looking for? And people say, John, well, I need more than just Jesus. What else? What else do you want? Well, maybe teach us how to cast devils out, fall in love with Jesus. Can you teach us how to heal the sick, fall in love with Jesus? How do I raise the dead? Get around Jesus and resurrection life will flow through you so much, friend, that even dead will start getting raised to life. Jordan, teach me how to witness. Love Jesus. How do I be a good husband? Love Jesus. How do I be a good father? Love Jesus, friend. All things consist in him. Is he not the healer? Is he not the deliverer? Is he not the faithful bridegroom? Is he not a good father? Is he not the resurrection and the life? Is he not the savior, the baptizer, the coming king? All things things consist in him. This morning I want to talk to you for about the next 25 minutes about the simplicity of knowing Jesus. But before I do, I'd like to uh, share some good news with you. How many like to hear good news from time to time? I know that uh, CNN does a pretty good job at feeding you trash. That Most of it's not true, but they try their best. 
I, I take, take it as my personal obligation to give you good news because that's kind of what evangelists do. You know, I, I know many of you are familiar with, um, I'm also glad that Pastor did the introduction because I don't think I've ever introduced myself just because I don't think it's important. Like, I'd rather you leave knowing about Jesus than who I was. But I also feel obligated to show you what God is doing today in and around the world. You see, Jesus said, I will build my church. You see, what, one of the advantages that I get is I get to see a broad spectrum of what that looks like. And the Lord has, by His grace, given us a wonderful opportunity to preach the gospel. Now on nearly every continent, I think, apart from Australia, on the face of the earth, we have seen Muslims, Hindus, atheists, agnostics, Buddhists, any, nearly anything you can name come to Jesus. We have seen over the last year, I, I've, can I just share some testimonies for a couple of minutes because it just makes me happy and I think it might boost faith this morning. I was in Pakistan a couple of months ago. I think I shared this with you already, but just for those who weren't here. And I was in a service where it was meant to be a healing service. And I was up on the stage preaching the gospel. And little did I know, but at the back of, a, of the service, a woman walks in holding a dead girl in her arms. It was her daughter. This woman had been walking down the street with her girl. And suddenly her girl fell to the floor, grabbed her chest, stopped breathing, and died. And so she brought her young girl to the service. And while the gospel was being preached, and this was my favorite part about the whole thing, no one laid hands on her, no one prayed for her, which means no one gets to take credit. I think the Lord would do more miracles if man stopped taking credit for it. But what do I know? Just an observation. I think if man got out the way more, the Lord could do more. So while the gospel has been preached, the Lord raised this young girl from the dead. In that same service, we saw tumors fall off people's bodies, blind eyes open. And over the last three years, we've now seen more than a quarter of a million decisions for Jesus Christ. I know many of you know, yeah, go ahead, give God some praise for that. I know that many of you are familiar with what we're believing for. As a ministry, we're believing for one billion souls to come to Jesus. And I pray some of you would agree with us and stand with us in that. One billion souls coming to the Lord. We just came back from Kenya a couple of months ago in April where it wasn't the largest crusade we've ever done, but I don't think I've ever seen more incredible miracles in one crusade ever in my life. I mean, we saw the most outstanding miracles. I want to show you a quick video this morning. And listen, the reason I'm showing this to you is very simple. God does not take extraordinary people. And there's some of you in this room this morning that you feel like, Jordan, there really isn't a call on my life. I want to make something very clear. The Great Commission was not just to evangelists. If you can find that in your Bible, I will happily sit with you and I will stop the ministry today. The only problem is you won't find it. Because when Jesus said, go into all the world, he never specified a demographic. He never said, hey, confident ones, go into all the world. He never said, evangelists, go into all the world. Can I just ruin our little theology here? He didn't even say Pentecostals. This might shock you. I know people who aren't Pentecostal who have led more people to Jesus than I have. Which tells me something. God's not that interested in our little denominations. I've got news for you. Denominations were not the Lord's idea. That's probably why I don't get credentialed by a bunch of denominations. <laughs> but I've got news for you. 
it was never his idea to have denominations. It was called the body of Christ. He is the head. We are the body. We are subject to the head. And friend, I wish we could all just come around one common agreement, get rid of our little theological arguments and say, I need a Jesus. You need a Jesus. The world needs Jesus. Let's take hands and bring Jesus to the world. Can someone say amen? But I want to show you a quick clip of what God has been doing. Then I'm going to bring this word to you this morning. If you guys have it, it's the Kenya video on there. Go ahead and uh, play that if it's ready. short on miracles. And I have news tonight. Jesus will come. He will touch you tonight. He will set you free. You may be the worst sinner in the field tonight, but come tonight, you great sinner. There is a greater Savior. Though your sins may be many, there is more mercy than your worst sin. Though your sins go deep, His grace goes deeper. There is no sin tonight that the blood of Jesus cannot wash away. Something is not a hold of him. When I think we're going to get him, she could not speak at all. Now, I'm here again. Can you say Jesus? Jesus. 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 In the name of Jesus. Yes. Talk. Yes. Be loosed. Yes. Now, in Jesus' name. Yes. Michael, say Jesus. Jesus. This woman was paralyzed for 16 years. She came here in a back brace. After prayer. She doesn't need a back brace. Because she got touched from God.
You know when that young boy's tongue was loosed? I don't think I've ever been closer to dying because I nearly went off that stage. I was so close to running off the end of that thing. But there's something about being childlike before the Lord when you see a miracle like that. Nothing can ever make you go, oh, yeah, that was good. There, there's an awe and a wonder about what the Lord does. And a lot of people come to me and say, well, John, that, that video is great, but, like, that doesn't happen in America. Friend, I think the reason it doesn't happen because people keep saying it's not going to happen. See, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, that means in your heart you've already stated it's not going to happen. And I think if we would open our Bibles again and realize that when Jesus said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, he never said in Africa or in Asia or in Europe or in America, a friend, he said, these signs will follow those who believe. It takes one person who's crazy enough to walk into Walmart and said, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but in the name of Jesus, get out of that wheelchair in the name of Jesus. Preach myself happy this morning. Turning your Bible, <laughs> ultimate segue right there, right? Turning the Bible to Matthew 16. Listen, we uh, we hold these crusades every year. In fact, we are breaking a personal record next year. We're hoping to hold seven crusades just in 2023, and so. We love to take people with us. We are taking a team of 17 people on this next one, I believe. And if this is something that you would like to come on, we would love to take you with us. I think that just sometimes getting out of your, what I'm going to call respectfully, like small bubble. Everyone has one. People generally stay in a confined area in life. Sometimes getting out of that and seeing what the Lord is doing in other places will change you forever. In fact, it will mark you. And when you come back to where you came from, you'll start creating change in that area. And so if this is something you would say, Jordan, I'd love to come and be a part of that. We, uh, we don't do tourist trips. We do hands-on trips. So if you want to come with us, you will be casting devils out. You will be praying for blind eyes. You will be praying for deaf ears. There's no introductory course. We don't start with cold and flu on this side and the dead on the No, you're going right into it. And so if that is something you say, Jordan, I'd love to do that. That's my heart. We have a table out there. Put your details down on the newsletter sign-up sheet, your name, email, and address. We'll reach out to you, and we'd love to bring you with us. But before I preach, I, I want to share something super important to us this morning. I know we shared this last night, but this is very dear to our hearts. We just, I know that you guys are aware the name of the ministry is All for Jesus. But we just launched something called Hands of Jesus. If you guys have that slide, just throw it up there. When we were in Kenya last time, um, I was there in April. The Lord spoke to me very clearly. And if you were here last night, please forgive me. But at the same time, you don't need to forgive me. This is important. So... The Lord spoke to me and said, son, it is hypocritical to say Jesus loves you to a child while leaving them hungry and naked. Someone talked to me this morning. It's, it's the equivalent of going to the homeless man and saying, hey, Jesus loves you while walking with a sandwich in your hand. Do, do you see the problem here? See, I, I have no problem with other ministries. We just weren't allowed to be that ministry from the Lord. And so we would go and hold these mass gospel crusades, and you can talk to anyone who's been with us. We were holding a gospel crusade, and two and a half thousand children showed up. Friend, in some areas, that's called revival. You imagine, you imagine if two and a half thousand kids walked in from your little, what's his, where are we? What's his city called? Atmore. I don't even know where I am. Jesus, help me. 
I promise you, like, because I travel week to week, I wake up in hotels just going, where on earth am I? Forgive me. Can you imagine in Atmore if two and a half thousand kids show up just because they were hungry for the Lord? That's exactly what happened. And so they showed up and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, this is becoming more successful than the evening crusade. Like we had about 20,000 people on the last night, but we spent close to $60,000 to get those people there. And this is where I get criticized all the time. Well, why does it take so much money to preach the gospel? It's free. Oh, preaching's free, but getting the people there costs a heck of a lot of money, friend. Believe me. We advertise on national television. Anyway, I don't have to explain myself to you. You know what I'm talking about. So I, I said to our team, I'm like, listen, 2,500 kids showed up. That cost me $0. 20,000 showed up. We spent $60,000. I said, Lord, this doesn't make sense. Like, why is this happening? And here's what the Lord said to me. He said, because they matter to me. That was it. No explanation. They matter to me. So I got home with my team and let me give you some advice real quick. This is for you and you. Don't know why it's for you too. If the Lord speaks to you, two things you're going to do. You're going to act quickly and you're going to act obediently. See friend, oftentimes in life we miss the voice of God because we delay and we delay, and we delay, and once we delay, we misinterpret, and we misinterpret. Friend, listen to me. When God speaks, act immediately and act obediently. Don't change one syllable of what he said. If he said, believe for this, don't add one onto it. Don't add one less to it. Act obediently and act quickly. So the Lord said to us, don't be hypocritical. Don't say Jesus loves you while leaving them hungry and naked. So I got my team together. I said, we're going to do something about this. Called my crusade director. I said, listen, how many kids can you get me in the field in September? I'm going back there in one month. I said, how many can you get there? He said, well, how many buses can you pay for? As many buses as you can pay for, that's how many we can get. So right now we have 50,000 children registered to be in that field in September. Now here's the wild part. We're going to feed every single one of them. We're going to clothe every naked child who's there. We're going to pay for hundreds upon hundreds of educational scholarships for these children. So many children in Kenya specifically, they cannot go through school because it costs fees to go there. If you don't go to school, you can't earn an income. If you can't earn an income, you live on the streets and become homeless or a beggar. That is what happens to so many of these children. And so I said to my crusade director, go and find me about 500 of the most poverty-stricken, impoverished children in the entire city. So we got them and we said, okay. Rather than just praying, we pray God blesses you. We're actually going to do something about it. Let, let, me, let, me, let, let me give you a scenario. Can you imagine if you were sinking in an ocean, right? For some reason, all your limbs got broken and you couldn't swim. Someone comes past in a boat and says, brother, I'll be praying for you. With the broken arm, you would grab that man and strangle him. Can someone say amen? Like, well, what do you mean? You're going to pray for me. You have the means to help me. You just don't have the heart to help me. And friend, this cannot happen in the kingdom. Oftentimes, if we have the means to help someone, we have the responsibility to help somebody. So I remember the Lord almost saying to us, remember what he said to Moses, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? Here's what's easy to do. God, I pray you would send someone to them. And the whole time God's going. Imagine if more would happen in the kingdom if everyone said yes to the Lord. See, I want to be very upfront with you. I said yes to God without a, without a dime in the bank account. Because when God calls you, it's not my job to figure it out. 
my job is to say yes. And so we saw God begin to exponentially pour in to help these projects that we're doing right now. And so our goal is by this time next year to have a thousand children. Their entire education is paid for, their food paid for for whole years. We're going to pay for their clothing, everything they need. And so listen, I want to present this to you this morning. If you can go ahead and put some of those profiles up. We need your help this morning. We want, as I said, we want to sponsor a thousand children. To sponsor one of these children for a whole year, to pay for their education, to pay for their food, to pay for their clothing, it's $25 a month. And so if it's in your heart this morning, say, Jordan, I want to help be part of that. I want to ensure that firstly, they hear the gospel. I want to ensure that they get their educational scholarship paid for. They can go through school. I want to make sure they're not going hungry in the streets. They're getting their, they're getting their food paid for. And that also, they get access to live a life that they otherwise wouldn't have access to. You know, my crusade director called me the other day and said, Jordan, we just sponsored a young man that we found at the side of the road. I said, okay, great. Well, what's his story? He said his mother and father died. He has four siblings, and in order to make money, he digs in the dirt to find bugs, and he puts them in a plastic tray, and he sells them to, fight, to buy food. Now, that's the story that you've like, God, do not join that. It's terrible. I'll be praying for him. Yeah, or you could do something about it. Now, listen, I'm not going to manipulate this into you. If this is in your heart, and you say, Jordan, I want to be a part of this. I want to help these children. Then for $25 a month, you can sponsor one of these children. Now, let's say you say, hey, I, can, I want to sponsor two children. I can give $50 a month. Friend, whatever you're able to do. But this morning, I'm asking you sincerely from my heart, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to see these children's lives change. That most importantly, it's not just about them getting fed or just going through school. They will have access to the gospel and their lives will be eternally changed. Can you say amen this morning? And so listen, if you, if you want to be a part of this, we will send you your designated child. You'll get a profile like what was on the screen. Four times a year, you will hear from your child how they're doing in their schooling, how they're doing in their life, how they're doing in their walk with Christ. And we will keep you up to date with them as long as you decide to support that child. And so... I'm asking you this morning, pray about it. Husbands, ask your wives because they have way more discernment than you ever will. Every decision in our family financially is made by my wife because she just hears better than the Lord than I do. I don't know why that's the case. It's just always been the case. Do you know, in fact, the Bible says that Jesus' whole ministry was funded by women? Do you know that? You ever read that before in your Bible? It says, and the women took care of his needs. It's just always the case. And so, But if you want to break the mold, man, if you want to have your part in history... Pray about it. Ask the Lord. We right now, I think we have about 12 or 13 more children that we'd like sponsoring by the end of the month. And so there's a bunch of people in here this morning. If you want to be a part of that, there's a table out there. Zach will be there after the service. Fill out one of those forms. And within the next couple of weeks, we will send you your children's profile. And you will make an eternal difference in their life. Can you say amen? All right, Matthew 16. Are you still there? Some of you closed your Bible. Some of you are going, church is normally over by now. It's all right. Go to McDonald's if you need to. I hope it's worth it. <laughs> I'm going to keep this short and sweet this morning. And everyone said amen. <laughs> Many of you also said, Jordan, you've never done that in four years of coming here. The Bible says in Matthew 16, verse 13. I'm like, what is going on? 
I got so scared for a second. I'm like, I'm going to get jumped. Zach, come help me quick. Oh, my gosh. Okay, that's wonderful. All right. Praise God. Dude, I was so freaked out. I felt like someone important walked in the room. Yeah, but he's been here the whole time, so. What's even worse was I got laser eye surgery like five days ago, and I can't even see properly anyway, so that made it even more confusing. All right, praise God. <laughs> All right, get me back on track, Jesus. You ready? All right, <laughs> when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, I can't even read. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that you are, thou art, wow, that's spiritual. Is this King, I'm guessing it's King James Version. Okay. Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, which is Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but who do, let's try that again, but who do, touch your neighbor and say you. All right, do it again. Touch your neighbor and say you. But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, that you are Peter, comma. Everyone say comma. Do you know that even the grammar's there in the Bible for a reason? Separate thought. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Someone say amen. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Friend, I want to set something in order at the very beginning of this sermon. Peter was not the rock. I've heard this preached so many times. No. Because what you're telling me then is that Peter is the cornerstone of the entire church. He's good, but he's not that good. Here's what Jesus was saying. The revelation that I am the Christ, that will be the cornerstone for all generations to come. You can get rid of everything else, but if you strip down all the layers and you get to the very foundation, it will read these words. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if that's the cornerstone, then let all of hell come against it. Let all of the demons come against it. Let Satan himself come against it. Let him try and shake that foundation. Friend, it is unmovable. It is unshakable. He is the eternal Son of God. I feel like preaching this morning. Say amen. Amen. You may take your seats. Zach, let me know when it's been 20 minutes. You know, church, there are, um, there are some questions 
that the world has been asking for years. Questions like this, what is the meaning of life? How many have ever heard someone ask that question? Or how many have had someone come up to you and say, hey, what do you think the meaning of life is? Other questions are like, what happens when I die? How can I be a good person? You see, these questions are what I would call foundational questions. Even if you don't believe in Christ, people will ask these questions. Because death is the only thing that really binds everyone together. It's inevitable. It's the date on your calendar you cannot miss. You can miss your doctor's appointment. You can miss your appointment to meet your pastor. You're not going to miss your appointment on the calendar when you die. The Bible says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single person. We're going to stand before God. You see, and you find that with questions like this, there are either one of two responses. Response one, try and ignore it. Response two, try and figure it out. So we go through life and we find people on the searches for these answers. What is the meaning of my life? How do I feel fulfilled? What happens when I die? And really, there is an underlying motive they're looking for. And here's what they're looking for. Give me truth. Let me, let me make something very clear to you this morning, even young people. You are pre-wired by God to desire truth. Now, many of you think, well, that's not the case because the world loves lying. No, 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 watch this. We have built our entire society and culture around the desire for truth. Let me ask you a question. Why did we develop court systems? To discover truth. Why do people go on trial? To find out. Why do the police interrogate a criminal when they arrest them? To discover the See, this desire for truth has been embedded. In fact, Jesus himself said, you shall know the, and the truth will set you free. I see, I would go as far as to say this. The reason that the gospel is powerful is not because it's a good story. It's because it's a true story. The power is in the truth of it. This desire for truth is nothing new. Do you remember when Jesus was stood before Pilate? Okay, you don't. All right, let me help you. Refresh your memories. The Bible says that Caiaphas was done with Jesus, handed him over to Pilate. Pilate says, I don't really want to kill him. I really had like, like to let him go, but the crowd starts riling up against him. The Bible says he brings him into his courts and his chambers, and he begins to ask Jesus questions. You guys familiar with this passage of Scripture? He begins to ask him, are you a king? Jesus answers him. He asks him another question. He asks him another question. Three questions, three answers. Say that, to your, say that to your neighbor. Three questions, three answers. But then this fourth question comes, and something fascinating happens. Pilate looks at Jesus in the eyes, and he says, what is truth? What is truth? And something amazing happens. Jesus doesn't answer. I asked this question to a friend of mine who knows much more than I do, loves Jesus more than I do. Those are good people to be around, by the way. I asked this to a good friend of mine who's a mentor in my life, and I said, why did Jesus not answer the question? He already answered three questions. Like, why not just have a clean sweep? And this individual said to me, because he was the answer. 
See, when Pilate said, what is truth, Jesus stood there, and in other words, he said, you're looking at your answer. She friend, every ounce of truth in this world is found in Jesus. Outside of Jesus, nothing is true. I said, outside of Jesus, nothing is true. That's why the Bible says that Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Jesus was also from the beginning and has never changed. And talking about himself, he said, I am the, the, and the, no one comes to the, except through that means, friend, he's always been truth. He will always be truth. And he'll never stop being truth. That's why when men go on these searches for give me truth, give me truth, give me truth, it will never stop until they find Jesus. Because anything outside of Jesus is not true. The Bible says that Jesus is walking with his disciples. And he's been with them now for a few years. They've seen miracles. They've seen the wonders of the Lord. But he gets to a region called Caesarea Philippi. And he, uh, he sits down with his disciples. Can I sit on this? He sits down with his disciples and he asks them a question. Now, I want to teach you something this morning. Listen carefully. God never asks questions because he's uninformed. Sila. God has never asked a question because he's in need of information. Whenever God asks a question, it's not for his benefit, it's for yours. See, when Jesus asked this question, he was not trying to have something revealed to him. He was trying to reveal something to them. And he asked this question, he says, who do men say that I am? Now notice this, he did not say, what do men say that I do? Because what you do is not always who you are. See, when he said, who do men say that I am, he was saying, who do they see that I am? Who do they identify me as? What do they see me as? Not, not what I'm doing, who am I to you? Because what you do is subject to change, who you are is not. Don't tell me what I do. Don't say he does miracles. I am I the miracle worker to you. Don't tell me he raises the dead. Am I the resurrection to you? Because if I just raise the dead, but I am not the resurrection, that is subject to change. But if I am the resurrection, it's not just what I do, it's who I. I don't know about that, Jordan. Well, hold on, hold on real quick, theologian. Was that not the exact answer he gave to Moses? Hey, who shall I say sent me? I, not I do. I am. He does miracles. No, he is the miracle worker. He delivers people. No, he is the deliverer. He provides. No, no, he's the provider. One subject to change. One is who he is. And he has already said in his word, I, the Lord, do not change. That means until we die, he'll be the miracle worker. Until we go to heaven, he'll be the resurrection. Until we go to be with him, he will be the baptizer. It's not what he does, it's who he See, this question has been debated for thousands of years. Who do you say Jesus is? I would submit to you this morning that this one question, who do you say Jesus is, 
it has caused more wars, division, and strife than any other question. But I would also submit to you it's caused more hope, peace, and joy than any other question. See, there is something so polarizing about this name Jesus. Like, I, this may sound crazy, but I promise you it's true. Some nations I go to and preach the gospel, especially these Muslim nations, it would be less offensive to preach about Hitler than Jesus. And that's not sarcasm. That's not joking. I'm telling you the absolute truth. I could preach a one-hour dissertation on Stalin, and it would be less offensive than Jesus. See, throughout history, he seems to rise above every other figure of history. And the question is this, why? Why are we talking about Jesus all these years later? You know, throughout history, men have tried to define Jesus. I don't have time this morning, but guys like Albert Einstein, Napoleon, um, even former presidents of yours, Thomas Jefferson, they made stories about who they believed the Lord was. You know, even one of your former presidents, Thomas Jefferson, said these words, I would question with boldness even if God exists. Some men have tried to wipe him off the face of the earth. Napoleon said these words, I know great men, but Jesus Christ is no great mere man. He outstands history. He rises above leaders. Napoleon said this, Charlemagne, Caesar, and Alexander and myself, we built our empires upon force and aggression, but Christ built his empire upon love, and it outlasted our empires, and millions would die for him in this very moment. Napoleon said that. Albert Einstein said these words, no one, how intelligent they be, can articulate the words of the Nazarene. He is an illuminating figure who surpasses our knowledge. He goes beyond history. The greatest of writers cannot articulate the greatness of Christ. Friend, these were brilliant minds, but every single one of them had to answer this question, who do you say Jesus is? Some would say today, well, Jordan, he's, he's just a good man. Well, the Bible says he was a good man. The Bible says to a woman caught in adultery, he forgave her and said, go sin no more. That sounds like a good man to me. The Bible says that he loved children. He said, let the children come unto me. That sounds like a good man. But I've got news for you. Throughout history, there have been thousands of good men. So what makes Jesus different? Some would say, well, he was just a good teacher. Maybe so. The Bible says he taught in the synagogue. He taught his disciples. The Bible says he got into a boat, pushed out a while, and taught the crowd from the beach. But I've got news for you. Throughout history, there have been thousands of good teachers. So what makes Jesus different? Some say, Jordan, especially when I'm in taxis, for some reason... Every time I get an Uber, every Muslim Uber driver says to me, he was a good prophet. Okay, I'll give you that too. Matthew 24 is a pretty accurate prophetic word if you ask me. He prophesied to the woman at the well. He said, you say, rather you have no husband, for you've had a bunch of them in the current man you're with, ain't your husband. That's a pretty good prophetic word. But I've got news for you. Throughout history, there have been many prophets. So what makes Jesus different I want to try and answer that question for you 
You see, every other person who came throughout history, they offered the world answers, but they themselves were not the answer. Many people have come and tried to offer the world hope, but they themselves were not hope. Many have come and tried to offer the world love like Mother Teresa, but she herself was not love. But when Jesus came, he did not offer answers. He was the answer. When Jesus came, he did not offer peace. He was peace. When Jesus came, he did not offer love. He was love. When Jesus came, he did not offer a sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. See, friend, watch this. Only Jesus can make the following statements like this. The book of Revelation says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Revelation 23, I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. John 14, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. John 8, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the door. John 10, I am the good shepherd. John 6, I am the bread of life. John 15, I am the vine. It goes on and on and on. Friend, it's not what he does. It's who he you know people have said to me before Jordan your preaching actually causes division why can't we just all get along all these other religions now look at these people honestly with sincere love in my heart and the answer is very simple When they say, why can't we all just agree that we serve the same God? Why can't we all just agree and stop fighting about having different gods? And Can we just agree that maybe your God and my God are the same person? No. No, we cannot. And it's very simple. Your God, whatever his name may be, I don't read about him dying on a cross for me. I don't read about him raising from the dead. I don't read about him leaving his throne of glory to come and die on a cross. I don't read about your God being a baby in a manger, having formed a woman in her womb and now has been subject to her care. Friend, think of the humility of that. Think of this. One day, God's in heaven and he formed Mary knowing one day she would look after him. That is mind-blowing. Let me take it a step further. Think about this. One day in heaven, God saw a seed in the ground, knowing it would become a tree that his son would be nailed to, and he let it grow. Can I take it a step further? God one day watched a blacksmith in a workshop forming nails, knowing they would go into his son's hands and his feet, and he let him make those nails. Can I keep going? One day... God was forming landscape, and he began to form a hill called Mount Calvary. Formed by his own hands, sculpted into the shape of that hill, knowing it would cause him heartache, but knowing from that hill, those who were far off would be brought near. Those who were once slaves would one day be made free. 
Those who are in sin would one day be made righteous. Those who are away from God could be brought close to God. And friend, that's why he allowed that seed to grow into a tree. That's why he allowed that blacksmith to make those nails. That's why he allowed that hill to be formed, knowing that one day his son would give his life for the sake of the world. That's why the Bible says there's only one name under heaven by which men can be saved. No, we don't all have the same God. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one way, one truth, one life. His name is Jesus. One day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He asked him, who do men say that I am? Then he asked this question. What about you? I, no, 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 no. I, I know what they've said. I'm not interested in that anymore. What about you? See, what Jesus was saying was this. Your neighbor's revelation of me will not sustain you. That's why I had to make it personal. No, no, no. I, I know what they've said, but you can't rely on their revelation. By the way, they all got it wrong. Some Elijah, no. Jeremiah, not quite. Good try, though. But then the Bible says this. Peter speaks of him and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. See, friend, it's a spiritual thing. It's a spirit-to-spirit -spirit revelation. That's why the Bible says the Spirit searches the deep things of God. See, this morning, it is not enough for you to say, I believe in Jesus because my pastor told me about him. Mm -mm. Let, let, me, let me tell you something that's healthy for you to do from time to time, then I'm done. It's a very healthy thing to ask yourself, why do I believe what I believe? Some of you look really confused by that riddle. It's not as difficult as it sounds, okay? Why do you believe what you believe. I believe Jesus is God. Why? Oh, John, we shouldn't question those things like we're No, no, no. Why? Because if you were talked into it, I can talk you out of it. If man convinced you of it, man can unconvince you of it. What lasts when the Spirit reveals it to you? When the Spirit makes it alive in you, no man can take that from you. See, this is why, why Jesus said to Peter, flesh, this wasn't a head thing. This was a spirit thing. It was a deep thing within you. But you didn't look at me like everybody else. You didn't look at what I did. You looked at who I was. You know the issue with many people, why their faith is so fragile. Everybody knows these people in church one week, out church the next week, in church one week, cry. Yay, they came back. Oh, they're gone for three months. I, I don't have that much sympathy with those people anymore. I don't. Because when you sit down with them, you start asking these questions. How much do you read your Bible? What does your prayer life look like? How much time do you spend with the Lord? What do you do in your time of worship? These things aren't there. It's, I, I come and listen to pastor preach. And that's going to sustain you all week. 
He's a great preacher. But friend, unless you do something with the Lord in the privilege of your prayer closet, it won't last. Listen to me. Intimacy is not birthed in public places. It's birthed in private places. You don't get to know the Lord on a Sunday morning. Let me help you what you do know. You get to know about the Lord. But because you know 10 facts about Jesus, doesn't mean you know Jesus. Friend, I can tell you 10 facts about me right now. You don't know me. However, go spend five minutes with my wife. You'll find there's a big difference. One knows things about me. One knows me. And this, friend, is the call to Christ. Just help me on that keyboard.